Welcome to the Smarter World Podcast, where we'll be focusing on the technology and issues behind today's connected world. I'm your guest host today, John Quain. In this episode, we're going to discuss the rise of radar as one of the most important advanced driving assistance technologies around today. New car assessment programs across the world are calling for automotive radar to be used in a variety of safety applications, from things like blind spot detection, collision avoidance, self-parking systems, and obstacle detection systems. So how did radar become such an important part of this ADOS landscape? And how are car makers approaching the technology? And what does the future hold for radar? These are some of the questions we'll explore today with Matthias Funer. He's the Director of Marketing for ADOS at NXP Semiconductors. Welcome, Matthias. Thank you, John. I guess the first thing is just to get people started and rolling and understanding where we are. Is you know, I cover automotive. I know who NXP is, but maybe you can explain you know, how NXP came into this and these advanced driving systems and its strength in radar in particular. Absolutely. So um, as a matter of fact, ADAS is at the center of uh, NXP's automotive commitment. And it is leveraging our strength uh, to automotive safety and automotive quality. And ultimately, it supports our vision of making zero road fatalities a reality. Now, uh, we did uh, indeed invest into ADAS technologies very early on, allowing us to take a lead. And that did involve, uh, on the one hand, an investment into tailor-made uh, radar microcontrollers, as well as uh, RFC MOS-based radar sensors, which today are used in 10 out of 10 OEM car platforms. On the other hand, uh, we did early on invest into vehicle-to-x communication technology, which has been used, among others, in the world's largest rollout of V2X technology with Volkswagen Golf 8 model. Going ahead, uh, looking into the future, uh, we are looking forward to enabling the car architecture of the future, whatever it may be, uh, and that uh, would uh, involve our complementary building blocks. For example, what we call central compute, the brains of the car, if you wish, as well as in vehicle networking, that is a means of connecting all these smart subsystems that are part of the vehicle today. And that that radar, when you when you talk about those platforms, um, is something that's easily plugged into most of them today, I would assume. Yes, uh, indeed. So a radar, um, as we said before, um, is uh, one of the mainstream sensors in uh, the car today, uh, next to cameras, and as level of autonomy increases with cars, where level of autonomy is ranging from level zero, no automation, to level five with fully automated driving, radar actually uh, is uh, the mainstream sensor next to cameras. And as the demand for autonomy increases, more sensors are getting added since there isn't any single sensor that does meet all the requirements of a given uh, configuration. Right. And I guess a lot of people are wondering, too, that the uh, which we have to pay attention to is because of the 
pandemic, worldwide pandemic, that we are in a different environment now than we were just five months ago or six months ago. How has that um, changed, you know, in terms of your perspective on those sort of new companies coming along that want to be AV companies and the traditional OEMs who are trying to catch up and, and electrify more vehicles? How is that market looking right now? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question, John. So matter of fact, um, uh, it's, it's an exciting environment uh, in, in every respect that we are in right now. But if you take a step back and look at this from a 10,000 feet level, uh, the market really consists of two main segments. On the one hand, there are the disruptors, the mobility companies, uh, the autonomic drivers, if you will. Uh, which are looking to deliver full mobility. And uh, among others, there are concepts like robo-taxis, there are concepts like home delivery, which, as you mentioned, the pandemic, certainly do get uh, quite an uplift in this environment. And, and they are really the ones uh, looking to enable the fully autonomous driving experience, leveraging a multitude of sensors in parallel, leveraging uh, enhanced algorithms that can deal with just any given situation you might, might think of or even with the unthinkable. On the other hand, um, there are the more traditional car manufacturers that have been in the industry for a while. And for them, uh, the challenge is actually a different one because many of them, uh, they've got a broad uh, model portfolio, a broad brand portfolio, and they need to cater to the needs of the entire portfolio, starting from uh, the entry-level cars with very basic functionality uh, to their very premium brands that uh, would require support for a fully autonomous driving experience. Now, the way they go about that is that they are applying a so-called platform approach whereby they develop a scalable platform that spans across their entire uh, brand and model portfolio where the capabilities of the basic sensors, they are expanded by more performance sensors that build on top and still reuse that same basic architecture such that car manufacturers can reuse their investment into hard and software uh, to a large extent, thereby accelerating their time to market, as well as reducing the cost of such development. You know, we talk about uh, things like automotive grade and terms like that, and what we usually mean is, you, this has to be reliable in the sense that I've done this before, I've used this technology before, and I, I, I know what its parameters are. I think that is a big advantage is to those companies producing tens of thousands of cars, right? Well, true, very true, actually. And this is what uh, actually speaks uh, for radar, uh, that is its, its maturity. Uh, we've been going through uh, 20 plus years uh, automotive radar now. And before that, radar has had a long history in military applications. Consequently, it's been going through a lot of innovation cycles already. And today that allows uh, radar sensors to really be 
delivered in a highly integrated fashion that allows for a very small form factor on the one hand, as well as a very cost-efficient manufacturer on the other hand. Yeah, I can't even remember what it was like before. <laughs> I just, I'm trying to recall what it was like to drive for hours and hours and have to, you know, be paying so much attention, whereas now I rely on radar so much for that, um, without even thinking about it. Um, yeah, going, you know, going forward with this is sort of like how it fits in with, with other um, uh, uh, components and um, whether I sort of can use, I mean, I picture it as I've got radar on my car and it's just sort of one sensor, but it's not really, right? It's actually several different radars in these vehicles. Yeah, indeed. Uh, um, of course, uh, some would wish you would have the one size fits all, but uh, in reality, uh, there are quite a variety of uh, different requirements for ADAS sensors that are constantly evolving. So on, on, on the one hand, uh, there are the front radar use cases for a highway pilot or for automated emergency braking. Then there are corner radar use cases for lane change assist, for cross traffic alert, for example. And then there as well, these side facing radars, uh, the ones that prevent the door dents when you open the door and there's an obstacle outside you didn't see or as well the ones that are used for in-cabin monitoring to uh, detect uh, children left behind on the back seat, uh, as well as monitoring driver's vital signs. And eventually uh, there is uh, what's been labeled as the high definition radar or the imaging radar, which gives a very, very precise representation of the car's environment uh, that does allow to really uh, get a much more precise map uh, that would uh, allow to tell different cars from one another on a crowded road, uh, that would allow to uh, detect vulnerable road users, uh, children stepping out between two parked cars, that uh, would allow to tell uh, static objects, bridges, from moving objects, vehicles, or would allow it to uh, detect the dimensions reliably of static objects like bridges, so you can see whether it's safe to pass through under a bridge. You know, I think most people have seen um, the information and, and you know data over the past few years about those front-facing radar systems and used in auto braking and emergency braking um, systems and technologies that, that we know those are effective and those are reducing accidents. Is there something you guys see on the on those other imaging uh, uses of radar that you think that's the next place where we can either save lives or improve, you know, reduce accidents, et cetera? I think there are different underlying drivers, uh, as we said before, um, and that is uh, in that sense that the adoption of these basic uh, sensor functions uh, are driven by regulation for car safety, for both uh, vulnerable road user safety as well as uh, passenger safety through regulatory efforts like NCAP, the New Car Assessment Program, or through the United uh, Nations regulations. Um, so these are driving a lot of these basic sensors, which are now seeing widespread adoption uh, across uh, 
via uh, car industry. As we said, uh, the case for higher levels of autonomy, uh, which requires really the interplay of different sensor modalities and much more performance sensors involving high-definition radar, also known as imaging radar, as well as LiDAR, these are driven by higher levels of automation and um, that is a different model because uh, that is uh, really uh, driven by these disruptors in the marketplace that are aiming for uh, business models like robo-taxis or home delivery, um, which is uh, a, a different approach. So we see different dynamics and certainly the mass adoption of these basic NCAP sensors. It's happening right now across different regions of the world. The case for full autonomy, uh, there is promise. Um, and uh, of course, there's a lot of good technology development going on, but um, the adoption of uh, full autonomy may be a little further out in time uh, than we thought previously. Is there more recognition so speaking of those disruptors, you know, there were a few years there where people thought, I'm just going to do all this in software. I don't need these sensors. I can just do it all with AI. You know, I can do all this in software and fix it all. And is there, it seems to me there's now a recognition, mm, that's probably not going to be the solution. And maybe we need more and better sensors. Or so you're seeing more demand from people for more sensors. That is actually a, an interesting question. And, um, to, to answer to that, I think th th there's actually two parts to this. So on the one hand, and if we were to stick with uh, imaging radar as an example, there is a question of improving the sensor as such and uh, the way imaging radar does it. That is that it is adding a larger number of antennas compared to standard radars which is essential to improving resolution, which is what allows you to tell one object for the other. So you get more data points, you get a denser point cloud, uh, if you wish. But now that you've got a much increased amount of data available, there's as well a cognitive dimension, meaning you need to interpret that data you obtained and make sense of it. And that does significantly drive processing requirements for such systems. And as we said before, may involve uh, artificial intelligence, may involve uh, increased algorithmic work, uh, which uh, this far has actually been the main obstacle for widespread adoption of uh, these types of sensors, because uh, even though there's been a lot of uh, demonstrators out in the marketplace and a lot of the startups have been trying to bring emerging technology to the market, it's not been ready for prime time yet. It's not been ready for large scale commercial adoption because these uh, more complex systems, more complex sensors and more demanding processing requirements have had an impact on the cost of such sensors, and that has not allowed really widespread adoption this far. Now, um, we have made significant progress in the past years, and I do believe when it comes to imaging radar, 
technology we've got coming up right now will be enabling true commercial adoption of imaging radars in the next one to two years. That's really interesting. I think uh, people forget to, I mean, just by point of comparison, your video cameras used in, in cars, yes, they're used to identify, you know, different objects on the road, but that is actually based on manual human uh, labor that has sat people literally sitting there and identifying things in pictures. It's not because there's some magical AI program doing that. And so I sort of think of radar as the same way. The reason it works so well is, well, it's been, as you said, 20 years being used in the automotive industry. And so, yes, reliability is pretty good. That comes back to the kind of raw data that you're dealing with, right? They're very different from each other. One piece of equipment from another and sort of what you're saying is, look, I'm using the same data and I can incorporate that into the decision making that goes on in the car, correct? Well, in, in some sense, um, what we like to talk about are scalable radar architectures, right? So scalability, uh, as we said before, is where you really expand the capabilities of one architecture towards higher performance use cases, more demanding use cases, but the car makers, they get to benefit from reuse of software they've done before already for the basic version of a sensor as they scale towards that higher performance sensor. So in that sense, uh, if we talk about this scalable radar sensor platform that we are driving for, then that gives that reuse and uh, that in turn has all the benefits uh, you would be thinking about like accelerated time to market and less uh, resource investment for R&D. Whereas if you add LiDAR on top, it's a very different kind of sensor and you don't get to leverage these synergies. Well, I, also I'm using, you know, the cars I test uh, and used to test a lot more before the pandemic, but still continue to test now are, you know. So which one is your favorite one from uh, the cars you've tested these far? Oh gosh. Well, I mean, I, there are um, some very reliable, actually, you know, from FCA, and uh, BMW and Volvo in terms of uh, what I think of as sort of uh, advanced driver assistance systems with their adaptive cruise control. I'm extremely confident in those vehicles, right? I drive and I let them, I mean, yeah, I'm paying attention, but I let the car, I'm assuming it will slow down and stop and, and, and do those things that it's supposed to do. And that's all relying on radar primarily. You know, there are camera systems that supplement them, but a lot of these guys are relying on radar. So they're used to letting that basically control the car, whereas there's no LIDAR right now that you would let allow it to break the car or anything. Not that I can think of, is there? Once again, that comes back to what we'd said before. Undoubtedly, LiDAR will have its use cases, but as technology, both on camera as well as radar, has been evolving, and as their capabilities have increased over the years, the, uh, the case for LiDAR that was uh, very strong two or three years ago, it, it does not seem to be uh, all that clear anymore today. And if we, within that time frame of one to two years that I indicated earlier, if we are to deliver commercial-grade imaging radars uh, that really meet all the requirements uh, 
the cost uh, uh, targets uh, that meet uh, the requirements with respect to the integration level, uh, then I'm uh, very confident that radar will expand its footprint next to camera as the dominant ADA sensor. The other thing I think I just wanted to mention is distance. So um, the earlier warnings, you know, we talk about e-horizons and technology like that when we have uh, vehicle to infrastructure, vehicle to everything connections, but we don't have those yet. And we're not gonna have it for a while, clearly. Uh, but radar does give us more distance too, right? It gives a little earlier warning and chance to see things down the highway, correct? Right. Uh, so long-range capability, as we said before, is one of the key advantages of radar. And uh, today, long-range radars uh, are getting to 100 to 150 meters range. Tomorrow's long-range radars, uh, which is uh, one of uh, the goals, clearly, they might be ranging beyond 200 meters of range towards 300 meters. And then, as you already pointed out, there is this uh, vehicle-to-vehicle communications uh, feature, which is actually supported by our V2X technology, uh, which we usually like to call an ability of seeing around corners, right? So, so beyond the reach of radar, now you've got this added capability that cars can actually directly communicate with each other up to uh, 500 meters of distance or more, or they can communicate with the roadside infrastructure that it would allow them to bridge even larger distance to be warned about uh, an accident or a traffic jam that is uh, building up uh, around the corner, maybe a mile away. So, so, so this is where things actually play together. And as we said initially, um, while we have a very large investment in radar, uh, our ADAS investment is more than that. And uh, the vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communication aspect plays along with that and uh, certainly holds a lot of promise in uh, getting uh, capability to reach further and to make driving the car even safer going forward. Yes, I, I think uh, that's uh, important. We talked about vulnerable road users earlier on and mentioned them that uh, making it safer, the cars safer for those around the cars too, just not the people in the cars. One last thing I did want to mention though, speaking of people in the cars, because you mentioned it in passing, is that in-cabin use of radar, which I don't think people are aware of, but, um, you know, in the United States, there are various advocacy groups for the, you know, there are these hot car deaths, unfortunately, that happen every year um, and uh, with children. And so that and also, you know, looking forward with autonomous vehicles, there's going to have to be some monitoring of people in the car. So maybe you could explain a little bit about how radar is used in the cabin as well or could be used. So as you did mention uh, very rightfully, there, is, uh, there are advocacy groups and there is regulation progress, uh, not just in the United States, but as well in other regions of the world, which are aiming uh, to prevent uh, these tragic events when uh, little children or even animals get left behind in the car in a hot summer weather. What's interesting with radar and what is an added benefit on top of, for example, a camera-based detection that is the ability of radar to look through a blanket, for example, say if you're 
little child is uh, covered by a blanket on uh, the backseat of the car, then radar would actually be in a position to see through that blanket and detect the presence of a human being. The other interesting feature that is being considered uh, for radar in the cabin uh, of the car, that is vital signs monitoring, because um, there is a possibility with radar to detect uh, very small displacements of your chest, for example, and consequently, uh, you can detect the, the status or the vital signs of the driver and uh, really anticipate uh, any, uh, any passing out of the driver if a person gets unconscious or if a person uh, is not feeling well. Uh, there might be warning going on. 911 call system uh, might trigger an emergency call. So there are, are a lot of uh, interesting uh, use cases that are once more aimed at really uh, driving towards that vision of uh, zero fatalities. And I think this is what's driving uh, really the adoption of uh, ADA sensors going forward. And uh, this is what I find most, most exciting beyond the technology itself, that uh, there is this potential to really improve uh, road safety by applying our fascinating technology. So now that we have that experience with a uh, sort of regular radar, if you will, in, in the vehicle, all I kept hearing and all I keep hearing about the last couple of years is this imaging radar, 4D, 3D radar. Um, maybe you could explain sort of what the sort of relevance of that is and more of the details about how that works, how it's different from the radar that's being used now. Yes, absolutely. Now, um, imaging radar actually is quite exciting and it's certainly it's been in the spotlight quite a bit in the press and uh, at trade shows in these past years. Radar, it's a relatively mature sensor. On the one hand, that is um, why it's seen widespread adoption. It's got its uh, technical advantages, which do involve um, the uh, capability op to operate at long range which involve uh, tolerance to bright daylight, which does involve its ability to operate under adverse weather conditions. But on the other hand, there are as well limitations for radar sensors. And these are in particular with respect to resolution and with respect to sensing altitude. And what that results in, that are shortcomings with respect to object classification and object separation. And that in turn does provide you with a difficulty when you want to distinguish different vehicles on a crowded road, uh, when you want to detect vulnerable road users, say a child is stepping out uh, from in between two parked cars, or when you want to distinguish static objects, say bridges, from uh, uh, moving objects, say vehicles, or if you want to really tell the dimensions reliably for these static objects uh, and want to determine whether it's safe to pass through under a bridge. So, um, so that is why 
in uh, the previous years um, for, for those use cases that require that higher resolution, LiDAR has actually been seeing a lot of attention. Uh, two, three years ago, LiDAR was all over the place and uh, it was assumed that LiDAR would be assuming uh, a lot of uh, relevance for those use cases. Now, we've seen uh, quite a bit of progress in terms of radar capabilities uh, to the point that our CTO, Lars Rager, he actually uh, labeled uh, imaging radar as the LiDAR killer, uh, which would, uh, through overcoming these um, limitations that we just talked about, uh, it, it would replace uh, LiDAR in quite many of the use cases. It might seem obvious, but you know, with LiDAR, even with a MEMS technology, there's some vulnerability there when you're talking automotive that radar just doesn't have, right? Right. Uh, certainly LiDAR has come, has come a long way uh, from the days of uh, the rotating $70,000 LiDARs to uh, MEMS-based solid-state LiDARs today. But uh, then again, uh, even MEMS, uh, they have certain uh, moving parts, even though at a micro scale, which in an automotive environment requires uh, qualification. In contrast, uh, certainly radar is a sensor like camera without any moving parts, without me any mechanical parts that would be prone to mechanical failure. So in that sense, uh, as we said before, on the one hand, radar is the safe bet. It's relatively mature, having been around for more than 20 years in automotive applications, lots of experience gathered. But on the other hand, it's as well evolving. Uh, there is a lot of um, innovative work being done uh, with radar sensors, both in improving the sensor itself, as well as on the algorithmic side to actually do a better job in interpreting that data that we are receiving from the radar sensor. Well, that's great. I really appreciate the walkthrough of the imaging radar. I think that gives me a much better understanding of how it works and its importance. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Matthias, for today. Thank you, John. And all your help. I hope uh, people enjoyed the podcast and learned more about radar and where things are going in the future. For the Smarter World podcast, this is John Quain. Have a great day.